But I'm so excited to be here with you today. We're starting a new series this morning called Identity. If you are a resident of the state of Arkansas and you're driving legally, then you have some form of identification called your driver's license. You may have something else with a picture on it that shows that you are who you say you are. It's verification. It says that you are genuine. It's you are the authentic, the real thing. And this morning, I am starting a four-part series that I'm doing myself for the purpose of helping you, helping us as believers, renew our thinking to who we are now and not living out of who we used to be. Somebody say amen. Now, I don't want to begin by throwing stones at any group or denomination, so I speak in general terms. I refer to it as Southern Churchianity. I believe that there has been so much running up the flagpole of depravity. And let me just, let me just set the record straight. I'm reformed in my theology, and so I subscribe to uh, what Calvinism teaches called TULIP, and the first one is total depravity, but that does not mean utter depravity. It means that throughout my whole being, there's a mixture. I'm affected down to the radix, down to the, down to the radius, down to the radical portion of who I am. It has been touched by sin because of the sin of Adam. But I, I want you also to know that we have a solution, and his name is Jesus. And we're not living the same old life, but we have been born again, and the old life is gone, and the new life has come. Come on, somebody. I, um, I'm going to pull up my phone here this morning because I, I want to read a little bit to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. My, my title, or rather, I'm sorry, my, my series text is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and you've probably memorized this in the King James Version. It says, therefore, and that therefore is there for something. It's there for a reason. Everything he's been saying in the previous uh, seven or eight verses leads up to this point. And here in this passage, it says this means that. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, everybody say in Christ, he is a new creation. King James says a new creature whole new kind of being. You're not the same old sinner with another chance, but you're a new kind of being in the earth. You are human, but you have God on the inside of you. Come on, somebody. Can you say amen? Okay. Now, I, I'm, I'm not going to preach as much this series that I normally do. This is going to be a teaching series because I'm going to challenge every one of you to some old traditional thinking that gets in the way of the effectiveness of the word of God. Jesus looked at a religious crowd and he said, your traditions or the traditions of men make the word of God of no effect. Now think about that. If there's anything on the planet that has the power to nullify the word of God in your life, then it would be you holding on to an old way of thinking that is preventing you from being freed and being released into the new you that God has called you to be. Come on, somebody. 
Are you hearing me this morning? So we've, we've, we see this, and it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old, old, things have, old things are passed away. I want to quote it right from the King James. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Okay, so here in the New Living Translation, it says it this way. Everything Paul said prior, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, that's in Christ, okay, has become a new person. Everybody say a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now listen, I want to begin in verse 11, and I'm going to go through 21. So just listen, okay, this is not on the screen. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. In the King James, it says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Verse 12, are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Either way, Paul says in verse 14, Christ's love controls us. King James says it constrains us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, if you believe that, say amen. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Wow. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So, verse 16, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. God, help us to do that in this room. Quit looking at all the other brothers and sisters and judging them because of what you think is not right in their lives. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. Then it sets it up. Everything I just read to you, read it with me. This means, say it out loud, come on. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Are you hearing that? When we have baptismal service, it's not just to get you wet with some ceremony. It is a symbol of burying the old life, the old self. And you come up out of the water to live in newness of life because you have been raised with Christ. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Let me finish the chapter. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. That's your job. You have a word of reconciliation and you have a ministry of reconciliation. And this is what we say. It says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Did you hear what I just said? God doesn't have a record of every last thing you've done wrong because it got washed away by the blood of Jesus. You're not going to get to heaven and they're going to play your movie of every bad thing you ever did. I don't know who made that junk up. It's not in the Word. It's not biblical. Okay? God is not holding. He's not counting men's 
trespasses against them, the King James says. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Come on, every one of you, every human on the planet was born and they are called to come back to God. Come on, somebody. Say, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. King James says it this way, For he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, in Christ. Bow your hearts with me, please, this morning. Heavenly Father, help us today. Help us teach. Lord, help us break through with a new understanding. Let the anointing of the Holy Spirit that breaks every yoke of bondage break the chains of traditional thinking that have bound Christians for centuries and centuries, their whole lives. To recognize and understand the simplicity of this truth that the old is gone, the new has come. And we're to live out of that new self now, that new life. We'll be careful to give you the praise. I need you. I ask you to do what I cannot do. Spirit of God, do your work. Gospel of God, go forth. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now, I have a message text, and I know I've been reading a good bit, but this is important. So we're going to go to Genesis. This is for today. The title of the message this morning is called Original Goodness. I bet nobody in the room has ever heard a message on original goodness. But I bet you've heard 500 messages on original sin. And in the, in the, in the Southern Churchianity South, we have a more of a sin consciousness than we do a righteousness consciousness. And if you're a believer, that shouldn't be the way you think. It should be about looking for Christ to be revealed in your heart and in your life and the goodness of God to show and shine through you. Well, yes, but there's none good but God. But yes, that was also before the cross and it was before Jesus came into your heart. God is doing a new thing. He's doing a good thing in your life. Come on, somebody. Look at this. So with original goodness, we want to go back to the beginning. We want to look at Genesis chapter 1. The scripture says in verse 26, you can just read silently. We don't have to read this out loud. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. Everybody say image. To be, he says, they will reign to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God made man in order to be a a co-ruler with him under his authority, okay? Then God said, let us make human beings in our, everybody say image. Okay, did I, did I miss one? Okay, yes, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them, verse 28. And then God did what? So immediately as he makes man, And when I say man, I don't just refer to Adam, but I'm referring to mankind, humans. Scripture says he made man male and female. He created them in his image. So I believe that it takes a male and a female to fully represent the character and the nature of God. A mother in a home, a father in a home, 
is going to give you the picture of the mercy of God and the discipline of the Lord. And we need both of those, okay? Once he made them, then he blessed them. How many of you know God has blessed you this morning, even whether you feel like it or not? Everybody say, God blessed me. Come on. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 29. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. Now, when God put Adam and Eve down in the garden, it was a garden that was already prepared for them. I want to draw from that this principle quickly. The situation you're in already has the solutions to the problem you're facing. You just got to look around. Out there in all of those trees that were in the garden, they were given the, the privilege and the permission to eat of every one of them except for one. And I'm telling you, hanging in those trees was technology that wouldn't show up for eons of time. There were cell phones that were hanging in those trees as ideas. And it took Adam to mature through generations and generations and knowledge to increase and somebody to get a vision and catch the idea. You see all that yellow? That's the scripture that I just had outlined or rather highlighted that I read to you this morning. But every blessing that we enjoy, everything that we enjoy right now as Americans, so many of the privileges we have are really less than 100 years old. I remember my grandfather talking about getting a block of ice to put on top of his icebox. They didn't have refrigerators back then. And all the things that we enjoy, just central heat and air and plumbing in the house. And my mother grew up in a house in Mark Tree, Arkansas, where she had to go 30 yards out back and do the business that we do now in our privacy of our homes in a, in a warm room. Can you imagine during the snow this recent weekend and having to, anyway, let me leave that alone. But how many of you are thankful for the blessings we have today? Okay. God says, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. Click. Verse 30, and I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. Next one. Now look at this. Read this one out loud with me. Then God looked over all he had made, and he what? Saw that it was very good. Now, if we were to take time this morning, we're not going to take that much time, but if we were to go back and read the account of every one of the creation days, at the end of that creation day said he saw that it was good. So God did a work, and he didn't do it with his hands because God is not a man, okay? He did it with his spoken word, God is spirit, and he did it by the word that he spoke. The worlds that we see that are created were created by the word of God. And when we understand that, we recognize that everything that he spoke into being, he stepped back and looked at it, and he said, it's good. At the end of the second day, it's good. Vegetation, plants are growing after he puts two lights, a great light to rule the day and a lesser light to rule the night. And the next day, we start to see vegetation appear, and then here comes the trees of the field and the animals scurrying along the ground, the fish in the sea, and all of this begins to move. I think it's very interesting. I was told by an environmental scientist one time, he said, whether scientists want to believe the Genesis 1 creation account or not, when a forest burns out, the actual order that's listed and how things appeared in Genesis is actually how it comes back again in the forest. Look at the grasses, the small saplings, 
the tree, the pines grow first because they grow quickly, and then they shade, so provide some shade so that the young oaks can grow, and it's going to take them a couple of generations to grow. The same way a burned-out forest regenerates over time is the same order which it appears in the book of Genesis. I don't think that's a coincidence. Come on. Somebody put your hands together. Give God some praise. At the end of every creation day, he said, it's good. Second day, it's good. Third day, it's good. The evening and the morning were the fourth day, and it's good. Fifth day, it's good. Sixth day, after he puts man down in the garden, he looks at all of it, and he says he saw that it was what? Say it. Very good. So, folks, this thing was created originally in goodness. Now, most of the time, in most evangelical churches, most fundamentalist churches, they, they don't begin in the right spot. They don't begin in Genesis 1. They start in Genesis 3 with the fall of man. And when all you ever hear is how low down, no good, nothing but a dirty worm, and you know what? Linda Ronstadt is the choir director in every one of those churches, and she has them sing it every Sunday. You know good, you know good, baby, you know good. I'm going to sing it again. Come back next Sunday, we're going to tell you again. You ain't no good. And when you hear that over and over and over and over, that you know good, you know good, even though it's a room filled with people who know Jesus, who've been baptized, buried the old life, raised to newness in Christ, and they're told every Sunday, you're going to have to sin a little bit every day. Guess what? When you feed yourself that, guess what you're going to produce? That's why I don't get up here every Sunday and beat a, a congregation that is largely filled with people who already know Jesus dangle you over the fire of hell and threaten you with fear because you already know God. You already know the Lord. Now, there's room. If there's somebody in this room, we will always give an opportunity for you to come to Christ. But I just believe the Spirit of God moving in this room can do a much greater job to draw you. And by the way, do you not remember that the Scripture says in the book of Romans that His kindness leads us to repentance? God, God doesn't want to try to scare, keep you out of hell by scaring it out of you. Some of you don't know what to think about when I'm preaching. i got a two or three amens around here this morning. But I want you to hear this. This thing began in original goodness. It began with a purpose. We have the image of God in us. You are carrying the Imago Dei. I'm getting ahead of myself. One thing, my one thing. Everybody say one thing. Read it with me. To understand the purpose of a thing, ask its creator. To understand the purpose of the thing, ask its creator. How many of you remember the scene in The Little Mermaid? When the seagull is answering the questions that Ariel is asking about all these things that she found on the bottom of the sea or in an old ship that was wrecked. And she's holding a fork. And he says, and he winds up the feathers of his head and he says, you know, this is a, I forget what he called it, and there was a snarf blat and it was just a, it was a pipe. Dinglehopper, yes. And he uses it to to make an aesthetically pleasing configuration of hair, if I'm quoting it right, I think. And, and so when she sits down and gets her wish granted and she's at the king's table eating with the prince that she's in love with, she picks up the dinglehopper. She doesn't realize it's a fork. She doesn't understand its original purpose, so she abuses it. Let me tell you something. When purpose isn't understood, abuse is inevitable. She picks up the dinglehopper, and she starts curling her hair with it. And she's embarrassed because she realizes somebody's told her wrong. How many of you know religion has lied to you folk this morning? A stupid seagull that was just making stuff up on the spot. And I want to tell you something. God created you originally good before sin showed up. Are you hearing me? 
Point number one, we are image bearers. We have the Imago Dei. You are marked. Even the vilest sinner has some degree of value to his or her life. Because even in their depravity that may be extreme and their brokenness and their addiction and their their, their, their horrible desires that may drive them to kill and steal and destroy and lust and all of the things that if we head down a path could drag us all down. Even the vilest sinner is still marked with the image of God. It's marred. It's broken. It needs to be restored. Now, we're not ignoring sin this morning. We're just not starting in the wrong place the way most of Southern religion does. They start with the fall instead of the creation. Everything God made was good. Hear that. Say that with me. Everything God made was good. And when he finished it, he said, it is what? Very good. So this is it. God's intention for man is that we would be his ruling representative in the earth. That we would demonstrate to the world this love of Christ and this love of the Father. Far too often we separate into ideologies and political parties. I started to see years ago the foolishness of this, probably 15, 20 years ago, when I knew the word and I knew that anybody who talked about creation care or the environment got labeled as a lefty or an environmental wacko. And I'm going, wait a minute. If this party is supposed to be the party of Christians, why aren't we addressing the issues of taking care of God's world and the planet? See, it irks me when people have so drunk the Kool-Aid of their political persuasion that they refuse to objectively at least critique a little bit and go, wait a minute, this, this party's not all that. And you try to mention that, and they get all defensive and lose their mind over it. Come on, somebody. That's why we can't be the party of the elephant, and we can't be the party of the donkey. We have to be the party of the lamb. Come on, somebody. There are four grand themes of the Bible. There's this meta-narrative. There's this larger story that can be summed up in four categories. And they read from left to right. God created the heavens and the earth. Man committed high treason. We refer to that as the fall of man. Because he fell from the place of carrying in innocence and purity. Yes, we are born in sin now. I recognize that. You don't have to teach your little boy or little girl how to lie. They may not do it when they're the only child, but when the second one comes along and you're around the corner in the kitchen and you hear somebody get bopped on the head and the youngest one's crying and the older one says, I didn't do anything. He's lying. She's lying to cover herself. She's looking for fig leaves and trying to hide in the garden from God's representative in the home, mom or dad, who are going, wait a minute, then why is, why is your little brother crying? I don't know. Just every time he opens his mouth, she opens her you, you didn't teach that child. Hopefully you didn't by example. We don't have to teach our children how to sin. They're born knowing how. We recognize that. Man fell. Man committed high treason. Man basically, I don't want to offend you, but he basically flipped off God. And said, we're going to do whatever we want to. We're going to call our own shots. We're going to be Lord over our own lives. We're going to decide how we're going to live this thing. But God didn't leave us in that mess. He sent. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus Christ has redeemed. He has bought with a price the precious blood of Jesus Christ. 
every one of you. He bought and paid for you. We are not our own. We belong to him. We're called to glorify God in our bodies, which are not ours, but they're his. Somebody say amen. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. And this is where so much of the time the church, especially in the south, has given us a truncated. That means it's cut the guts out. It's cut the trunk of the gospel out. It's cut the real heart of it out where it's, it's, it's reduced this thing down to salvation as a home in heaven and it's fire insurance from hell. Oh, yes, it is both of those things, but that is a minuscule portion of what the real gospel speaks to. It is a comprehensive message that wants to touch and bring blessing to every area of your life. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. And because of that, I got a piece of ice then, didn't, 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 didn't figure that was coming. Let me chew that up. Because of that, we have relegated all this restoration part to when we get to the sweet by and by. And I want to tell you that I am confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in me will perform it until I see Jesus. When I see Jesus, the work of restoration is finished. It's completely done. He's working on you right now. He is restoring you right now. Everything that the enemy has come, Everything that the job, op, the job description and the modus operandi, the method of operation, the way the devil works to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus has come to turn it around and bring back to you what was stolen, restore to you what was stolen. He's, he's come to bring to life everything that has died. Now, there's some things should stay dead, but there's some things God wants to resurrect in your life. The love in your home, the respect for your children, for you and your wife, your husband. There's some things that God wants to add back. He wants to multiply. He wants to bless. And whatever God blesses, it multiplies. Somebody say amen. Are you getting anything out of this? So creation, God made it all. Fall, man plunged it into darkness of sin and we were under a curse. The curse of sin and death. But how many of you know, I'm not under a curse anymore. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are Everybody say, in Christ Jesus. Those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made, past tense, has made me free from the law of sin and death. So I'm in a whole new place. What Adam did, I don't have to live in and use it as an excuse for the rest of my life because Jesus bought me and paid the price for everything to bring healing to my body, to bring salvation to my mind and my soul and my spirit and my understanding so that I could walk in agreement with him and walk in blessing. Put your hands together. Come on, somebody. So we must begin at the beginning. It's a line out of Wizard of the Oz, of the Wizard of Oz. We must begin at the beginning. The problem with so much Southern churchianity is they ignore the creation. They begin at the fall, and so every Sunday you're told you ain't no good. Every one of you in this room are sinners, and I want to speak to that. We must begin at the beginning. So we begin with creation. We understand original goodness. We understand that there was an intention that God called us to something greater than we are currently experiencing right now. My third point this morning is where I want to spend the rest of my time. It, it, the title, or rather the point is, get your verbs right. Say it with me. Get your verbs right. Ephesians chapter 2, 
verses 1 through 10. And I want to take time to look at this and do a little bit of analysis. Where is that? I had that pointer. There it is. Slid down in my pocket. Everybody say, were. Once you what? Now, if you were dead, what does that mean you are right now? It means you're alive, okay? So let's just analyze. We're going to gear down and teach. Once you were dead because of your what? And your many sins. But how many of you know that's once? It's not now. Verse 2. You Look at all these past tense verbs. You what? Used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. How many of you know that's not you anymore? You don't refuse to obey God. You have the spirit of God in you. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. So that's not speaking about how you are now. It's talking about anybody who is still in the place of refusing to obey God. That's not your heart. It amazes me that people say, oh, you can't trust your heart. Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitfully wicked. I mean, who can, who can trust it? Well, yeah, but that was before the cross. It was before Ezekiel 36 says, I will put a new spirit in you and I will put a new heart in you. You, you don't have the same old heart. You've got a new heart. It's crazy to me that preachers will get up and quote 2 Corinthians 5.17 every Sunday, but never let it have the full implication of what it means. You are a new creation. You have a new heart. You have a new spirit. You have a new nature inside of you. You don't have to live according to the old life. As a matter of fact, you buried that old life in baptism. Verse 3. All of us, read it with me, used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature by our very what? We were, say were, is past tense, is were past tense? We were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Well, if the nature I had made me subject to God's anger, but now I'm not, that means I've had a nature change. We were past tense. Are we, are we reading the Bible? Somebody say Amen. Verse 4, but God. That's one of the most powerful two words in all of the Bible. I was headed down this path, but God. I was lost, but God. I was blind, but God. It says, in the middle of all of this, but God, who is so rich in mercy and loved us so much, verse 5, that even though we what were dead because of our sins, he what, past tense, gave us life when, everybody say when, when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Next verse, verse 6. Now look at all these past tense verbs. For he what, say it, raised us from the dead. Now let me, let me, just, let me just stop and ask you a question. Can you be dead and alive at the same time? Okay. So if your sinful nature made you dead, but you're alive now, guess what? You've got a what? A new nature. Everybody say a new nature. Because you've been raised to a new life. All right? For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and he what? Another past tense verb. Seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. 
King James says we are in Christ Jesus. That's that critical covenantal phrase that we have to learn our identity. I'm not the same old guy I used to be with another chance, just forgiven again and again and again and again, but I am a whole new kind of creature. I am a a representation of this God-man race. I'm a new creation man, a new creation woman of God. Somebody say amen. Verse 7, are you getting anything out of this? Now, what you have to do is you have to renew your thinking to who you are now and quit living out of the memory of who you used to be. So God can point to us all in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he, what? Past tense. He has done for us who are in Christ Jesus, who are united with Christ Jesus. That's that same phrase in the King James, who are in Christ. Three more verses and I'm finished. Are you getting anything out of this? Come on, verse 8. Here it comes. We love this. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Now, you know what? He saved at the cross, but it became personal to you when you made the decision to put your trust in Jesus. Everybody say, when I believed. Okay? And you can take that credit. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Verse 9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Ain't nobody in the room can, can, you know, draw some line about all of your pedigree and your heritage and all these amazing things that you've done. I've got, I have a method to my madness. I'm looking for something over here that I need to find because it's a critical part of my illustration. And I promise you, it seems like it's moved. Help me, Lord. Where is it? Verse 9. Yes, I'm about done. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. But here it comes, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. King James says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good, unto good works which he hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Before I was ever born, before the foundation of the world, the Father saw you, knew you, recognized something critically important about your life. But sin entered. But Jesus brought us, God gave a solution in Jesus. He redeemed us. He raised us to newness of life. He made us sit together with him in heavenly places. Now, you don't see that right now, but in the realm of the Spirit, you are seated in heavenly realms. You have a position of authority as a believer. Are you hearing me? We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do. Everybody say can. We can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Jesus has not only bought and paid the price, but he has restored us to everything that Adam lost. You can live above an addiction that's trying to destroy you. But the only way you're going to do it is to change your thinking about who you are now and begin to live according to who you are and not who you used to be. 
it takes time. It takes a renewal process. It takes sometimes dealing with some ingrained desires and some memories that are screaming at you for attention, for the dopamine injection that you got when you did that particular thing that you are continuously drawn back to, whether it's drugs or whatever your flavor is. But now, in Christ Jesus, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. These are just the summation, and I'm finished. Look at this. Were is not our. Everybody say that. Were is not our. We were dead in sin. We were, by nature, subjects of God's wrath. We were living the way the rest of the world does, but now we are new in Christ. Come on, somebody. Come on, put your hands together. You can't be dead and alive at the same time. And the problem is, is that when you are constantly fed these ideas of everything that's wrong with you, instead of recognizing all that God has done right in you, how many of you know what you pay attention to grows. Are y'all hearing me this morning? The Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of sin, but to convict the believer of righteousness. I am in right standing with God right now. And if you're a believer, so are you. Are you hearing me this morning? You have a privilege as a son and a daughter of the king. You have a new nature inside of you. Christ is in you, and the scripture says in Colossians 1.27, it is the hope of glory. His presence is inside you. I, uh, somebody, somebody give me a bill of any kind. I had my wallet, but I don't know what happened to it. Just pull out a bill. I'll, I'll get it back to you. Come on, Tim, run up here real quick. Whatever you got. Oh, there you go. That's what I was going to use was a 20. I want you to recognize the purpose of salvation. He's on the front row. He's waiting for his 20 back. <laughs> the purpose of salvation isn't to deliver you from your humanity, but it's to free you and restore you to God's original design and intention as a human made in his image. You don't need to be delivered from your humanity. That humanity's not the problem. As a believer, your biggest problem is living out of the memory of an old life instead of consciously renewing your thinking to who you are now in Christ. Because when we sin, you've had a momentary lapse in memory of who you are. You've forgotten for a second who you are. You have spiritual amnesia. And so we have to be reminded. We have to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We have to be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our what? Our mind. I'm going to talk about that this month. Now, we're not ignoring sin. We're going to speak to sin. I'm going to show you how every book that Paul ever wrote, he showed the people who they were first in the first couple of chapters of every epistle he wrote. And then he said, now, based on this new life, put off the old and put on this new nature. Put on this new life. Are you hearing me? It's like garments. The purpose of salvation isn't to deliver you from your humanity, but to free you and restore you to God's original design and intention. Religion 
has preached so much about how no good and unworthy we are. And let me just say this. In my own self, apart from Christ, I am not worthy of the love of God. But he loves me anyway because he sees beyond my struggle and my sin. Now, too often we've been slammed with that so much that we go out and we misinterpret this religious concept of being unworthy of his love and favor, and we hear it as, I am worthless. Come on, somebody nod your head, wave at me if you know what I'm talking about. There, there are pews of churches filled with believers that are insecure about who they are in Christ because they feel like they are completely worthless. They struggled with a temptation this week, and you didn't overcome it. It got you, and because of that, you feel completely worthless. This is a $20 bill. It's a Federal Reserve note issued by the United States government. There is an image on the front of this bill that basically authenticates what this bill is worth. There's a great big image of a two and a zero which tells me that it's worth 20 U.S. dollars. Now, how many of you know that I can spit on this bill, I can blow my nose into this bill? I'm not going to, okay? I can stomp it in the ground. I can push it through the mud. I can wad it up. And I can throw it away. Open that bill back up. It's got snot and mud and dirt and everything else on it. And guess what it's still worth? It has not lost its value. You are not worthless. It's stupid to tell people constantly this and to, to go, wait a minute, but you had a God who saw something in you that was worth so much that he gave his uniquely begotten son who shed the most precious thing on the planet, and that's the blood of Jesus. Are you kidding me? We were redeemed not with silver and gold, but with precious blood. And now because of being redeemed and God is in the process of restoring me, he's putting new desires in my heart that don't want to do what I used to do. I may still struggle with it, but I've got to deal with the memory and turn around and go, wait a minute, I am not that person anymore. Jesus has saved me. And you know what? We are trying to build a church here that when people are struggling with things that in other churches they would never let it be known, that we want you to know this is a safe place. We're not going to shoot people because everybody in the room has got a struggle of some kind. I believe you're hearing me this morning. And so we want to encourage each other in the Lord. We want to remind each other of what Jesus did for us, past tense. We want to remind each other of who we are now in Christ, not who we used to be. The worst thing you can do is get pharisaical about somebody that comes through those doors and look at them and go, well, what are you doing here? I mean, that's like, that's like laughing at a fat person that's in the gym trying to get in shape. Where do sinners need to come? To the house of the Lord. Are you hearing me this morning? Of every kind, of every ilk, of every variety, if they don't hear the gospel, it's impossible to change. Because we were born in sin. But God has a higher design, a higher idea, something called the goodness of God that he wants working in our lives. Come on, somebody. Just as that wadded up, muddied, tattered, 
$20 bill never lost its value. I want to speak to you this morning, and I'm, I'm closing this message right now. Whatever you're struggling with in this room, if you've never crossed the line of faith and asked Jesus to come into your heart, there is nothing that is so vile or so bad that God turns his head and won't receive you. As a matter of fact, if you'll take the first step, if you feel like you're a thousand miles away from God, all it takes is one turn and he, boom, is right there. He's ready to receive you. He's the father on the porch looking out, seeing the prodigal coming back. And it, the scripture says the father saw him while he was afar off. How I many of you know the Bible says we are now made nigh? We're made near. We're brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so to you this morning, I invite every one of you in this room, if you're a believer and you're struggling with something, stay with me. Stay, with, stay in this series. Get in. Let's see what the word says. Let's renew our thinking about who we are now because you have a new identity. Come on, just like when a wife marries a husband and she takes his name, we are now part of Jesus. We are in Christ. I'm looking at the bride of Christ. Hello, Mrs. Jesus Christ. Now, if you realize that you're the bride of the Son of God, don't you recognize that you have some privileges in this universe? You've got some authority in this earth. You don't have to let the devil beat you up and drag you around through temptation, through stealing, killing, destroying, because Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, help us today. As we close this service, as we reach into you by faith to take hold of the promises of God, thank you that you remind us of all that you have done 2,000 years ago at the cross. Lord, if there's a brother or sister in this room who's never crossed that line of faith, thank you that we heard this morning that it's not anything we've done. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can boast about, but it's a gift from God. We look to you. We hold our hand up in faith, and we receive the free gift of eternal life that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We take hold of it. Forgive us of our sins. If that's you this morning, pray that right where you're seated. Be Lord of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Show me, oh God, who and what you've called me to be now as a new creation in Christ. In the name of Jesus.